Hope y'all are doing well. We are in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We, uh, Jordan and I built a Lego set on the video, if you were wondering. That was me and Jordan. Um, so you're thinking you get paid to play with Legos. Almost. Like it was, there was a purpose behind it. Um, but anyway, we have been in the book of Acts uh, now for a little while. And uh, we took a two-week break, as most of you know, because we were out in the park. And so since we haven't been in the book of Acts uh, for a couple weeks, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all of chapter 9 uh, because we're, gonna be, we're, we're picking up in the middle of chapter 9. Well, I'm not going to read all of chapter 9. I'm going to read down to verse 31. But uh, we're picking up right there in the middle of that 19B range. Verse 19b, and so I want to make sure that you, you know what's happening in the, in the beginning part of 9. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'll read all of verses 1 through 31. I'll give a little bit of a recap of what we talked about uh, a few weeks ago when we're in Acts chapter 9, and we, we saw Saul's conversion, and then we'll, we'll be preaching from today verses 19b through 31. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll read the text together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you that its promise is that it will never return void. We thank you that it trains us in righteousness. It reproves us. It corrects us. um, It shows us uh, who Christ is. It helps us understand the gospel more fully. And so we pray that this morning, as we are looking through the book of Acts, that we would see all those things, as well as be able to understand what your design is for the church, that that we as a church can continue to grow in community mission and care and Fulfill the purpose that you have for us here in Rock Hill to see the entire city come to know Christ. And so we want to be used in a mighty way in this city. And we pray that as, the, as we look through your text week in, week out, that you'll use it to strengthen our heart, strengthen our soul, put us and send us on mission, encourage us to really want to fulfill the mission that you've given to us, to be witnesses to the whole, <clears throat> to the whole world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 9. Uh, and I'm going to read, starting at verse 1, all the way through 31, so that you can get a full context of what's going on. So, um, th- this is the conversion of Saul. Thus far, all we know about Saul is that he was killing Christians. That's all that, is, that he's told us. Uh, Luke, the writer, has told us at the very end of chapter 7 and the very beginning of verse 8 that Saul was there whenever they were killing Stephen. Uh, and what we know right now is that he's just a complete enemy of the faith. And so... Uh, we're going to see in chapter, one, chapter 9, verse 1, uh, what the Lord is, is going to do. But it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? If yours is written in red, that's because Jesus is saying this to him. Um, And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And he said, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas and look for a man of, of Tarsus, that's Saul, he's from Tarsus, named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he can regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from <clears throat> many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Here, uh, that he has authority from the chief priest to bind everybody that calls on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the children of Israel. For I will show, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So that's, that's the context of what was happening before. And then after that, we're going to continue to see what's happening with Saul. We're going to look at the rest of this text today, but uh, let's read. Verse 19b, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and, and said, Is this not the man who, who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23, Then many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. So they went back to Jerusalem, and there, there were the twelve, and he wanted to join them because he's a believer now. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord and he spoke and disputed the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, um, but they were seeking to kill him and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So I want to I recap a little bit from last week. That'll help us when we go into this week. I guess it wasn't last week. It was three weeks ago. That'll help us whenever we go into this week so you can know what's going on. So uh, in verses 1 through 19, we see some things about Paul or Saul uh, that there's a radical conversion. What I said, there was this there was this, what we look at, I mean, this is a radical conversion. None of us were converted in a way that, that we were walking down a road and we were blinded by a light. And Jesus spoke to us audibly and we were asking, who are you? And he's telling us, he, he wants us to go and you know, an older man's going to lay his hands on us and all of a sudden we're going we're gonna to be able to see again. This has never happened to us. And so since that's never happened, I kind of posed the question that this radical conversion seeming to be so amazing, something that would never happen to us, certainly put Paul on this trajectory to live this amazing life. And so we can take the step back and we say, well, that radical conversion caused such radical living. 
But if I ever had that kind of radical conversion, I would probably have radical living. But my conversion was just, you know, normal, like everybody in the South or, you know, whatever. And so that's why my living, it doesn't quite match his. And so what I wanted to do is look at this. And so as we're looking at, we saw the radical conversion there in verses 3 through 6. And then after that, we see uh, what Saul does is immediately he starts the spiritual disciplines. You can see that in verses 9 through 11. And 18, it says he, he didn't eat anything and he's praying. And you have in verse 18, it's something like um, scales falls from his eyes. And then he, was, uh, he gained sight, he took food, and then he rose and he was baptized. So this radical conversion, after Jesus saves him, after that, he practices the, the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting and doing baptism and, and the other things. And then after that, the Lord comes and tells him that he has a mission for him in John 15. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, in Acts 9, 15 and 16, where he says, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. He's going to be my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. So I, I want him to go share the gospel to people who are Gentiles. And the last thing we saw was that there's an absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, as it says in the very end of chapter seven, uh, verse 17. And then we just kind of took the step back and I said, well, this radical conversion doesn't necessarily sound, certainly the blinding part is different. But the rest of it is like ours. Jesus saved us in some particular way. And whenever he saved us, he told us to start practicing the spiritual disciplines. Likely, if you're a believer, you've been baptized. He tells you in Matthew 28 and Acts 1.8 that he wants you to join him on mission just like here. He wanted him to go carry my name to the Gentiles. He's told us the exact same thing. And then after that, he fills him with the Holy Spirit, and that's what happens to us. And so we, we take this, this look and we say, well, then every conversion is radical. If anybody has ever been saved from death to life, if they were dead spiritually and been made alive spiritually, then this conversion of Saul isn't necessarily very different from mine. And if that's the case, then this amazing life he lived, really living for Christ, doesn't have to necessarily be so different from mine, that I can also um, choose to live in a radical way for Jesus. So now what we're going to see um, as we're going into verse 19 uh, Paul's being prepared for ministry. So the first thing I want you to notice in that first half of, of, of chapter 9 is that we all can agree that the conversion that Saul's had isn't that amazing um, in a sense that it really differs from us. It doesn't differ from us. It's, it's basically the same. You've been converted if you're in Christ just like I've been converted, just like he's been converted. Because anybody that's converted, it's an amazing work of God. We've never been blinded like this but it certainly is an amazing work of God. So since that's the case, when we look at his life, and as we, we're going to see in the book of Acts, man, he really loved Christ. Man, he really was really to sacrifice. Then we can say, well, then I can do that as well. Now, in the second part here, starting at verse 19b, we're going to look at some of the preparations that Saul's preparations for ministry. And what, what are some of the things that he does? Um, now, I want you to notice this. Brand new Christian, okay? Sure, he was highly intelligent and very educated, when it, when it comes to Judaism, not Christianity. When it comes to Christianity, his Christian doctrine is very limited, very limited. Watch this. Remember, he's just got converted. For some days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. Watch this, 20. And immediately, he proclaims Jesus in the synagogues. Brand new Christian. He's already taking up the task of evangelism. He's proclaiming Christ immediately in the synagogues. And it says saying he's the son of the God, and all who, are, who heard were amazed. That's in the, in the Greek, ecstasis, something like that. It just means ecstatic, like 
crazy excited and amazed that he's doing this. So Saul's prep for ministry. The first thing I want you to see is that God moves Saul immediately to start proclaiming Jesus. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is Saul's preparation for ministry is I want you to think for yourself that Paul, that God is also preparing you for ministry. Just like Paul was saved by God, he wants to, he wants to save you. He has saved you. He also, even though you're not in ministry like I am, uh, you're not a full-time necessarily person in ministry, you're all in full-time ministry. Every single one of you is being prepared by God for ministry. So here we see this brand new amateur, brand new amateur Christian goes out and immediately starts proclaiming Jesus, which means if you're also in ministry, not necessarily on a church staff, but you are in ministry, he also wants you to immediately go out and start proclaiming Jesus. L- let, me, let me show you. I've, I've shown you all this verse numerous, numerous times, but I want to make sure uh, that you believe me that you're in ministry if you're a believer in Christ. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, it says this. Uh, chapter 5, it says, uh, in verse 17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. So everybody is a Christian now. The old has gone. Behold, behold the old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God who has reconciled uh, through Christ, who has reconciled us to himself. And then here it is. Whenever he's reconciled us, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So that means every Christian is also a minister of reconciliation. Every Christian. So you don't have to have your name on the church website at, under the staff section in order to finally start thinking that you're in ministry, right? Every single person that's a Christian is a, is a minister. And it says, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? that? That Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. So just picture God in Christ pulling the world to him that doesn't know it, pulling unbelievers and wanting to save them. But this, this pulling the unbelievers to him, there's like this person in between that they're literally passing through going to Jesus. And that is you. Watch this. That Christ God <clears throat> was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making, here it is, his appeal through us when we say, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And our message is, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's our message. That's what we tell them. Jesus came. Jesus died. He lived the perfect life and went to the cross so that everyone can be saved. If you would put your faith and trust in him, you can be saved forever. And so every Christian is a minister. They've been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means Paul immediately is doing what, is supposed to be, what he's supposed to be doing. He goes and immediately starts proclaiming Christ. He was a brand new convert. He doesn't have down tons of Christian doctrine, and yet he's going to proclaim Jesus. And what's his message? If, you, if you're thinking, I really think I would want to do that, I just don't know what to say. Here it is. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the God, saying, what is it? He, Jesus, he, Jesus is the Son of God. That's, that's, that's where you can start. If you don't know anything to say, just follow Paul. Jesus is the Son of God. I like being around new Christians, um, especially when it comes to evangelism, because they haven't learned the rules yet. You know, the rules that you're not supposed to tell anybody about Jesus because people will think you're weird. You know, like, as you get older and you start talking about Jesus, and then they think, who's this weirdo talking about Jesus? 
then you, you stop. And so you finally learn the rules. Rules are in air quotes because that's not actually the rules at all, right? Um, but new Christians are just like, well, I got saved. They need to be saved, so let's just go tell them. And I'm like, all right, that sounds great. Um, wh- what's true is um, all, all believers should act like new believers when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. New believers usually are, without fear, sharing Jesus. And so we need to do that as well. And immediately, Saul is moved to start proclaiming Jesus. As a new convert, he doesn't have all the doctrine down, but still he's going to proclaim Christ and say, he's the son of God. Um, there's a guy named Kent Hughes in his commentary as he's, as he's looking at this. He says that uh, all Christians go through Christianity figuring out kind of Christianity in three stages. The first one is that every Christian says, this is easy. And then they say, okay, this is difficult. And then they figure out, this is impossible. Uh, without the Holy Spirit, there's no way I can do this. I mean, there's just, there's just no way I can, I can proclaim Christ the way I'm supposed to. There's no way that I can kill sin the way I'm supposed to. There's no way that I can live out and, and, and fellowship with other believers the way I'm supposed to. Um, and so I have to have a reliance on the Holy Spirit. And here, because Luke wants us to understand he's just been filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 17. He didn't immediately... His preparation for ministry is, okay, here's your preparation. I'm not going to remove you away from unbelievers for a few years to figure out exactly what to say. The whole time you're going to be in preparation and you're going to be doing your seminary training, which we're going to see in just a second, you're going to be on the front lines during that sharing the gospel. I, I, I experienced the same thing when I went to seminary. I was thinking, you know, I'm excited to go to, I'm excited to, go to seminary. I'm going to take a class before fall starts to keep knocking it out because seminary takes forever. It's like 90 six hours, I th- well, it's not anymore, it's 81 hours and all online, and I feel kind of ripped off that I couldn't do that, but it, mine was 96 hours, and I'd make sure anybody that does the 81, I'm telling them, mine was longer, so I know more, anyway, so I'm just kidding, so when I got up there, uh, there was, they were offering these little two-week classes before the fall, and I was like, well, let me go ahead and take some of these two-week classes, that sounds fun, the, the, the two-week class that I'm in was Practicum and Personal Evangelism with Dr. Alvin Reed, actually, it's the, the professor I'm studying under right now, um, and as soon as we got there, I was thinking we're going to be taking classes on evangelism, writing down notes and thinking about strategies. And for maybe the first hour or two, we did that. And he's like, all right, let's go. And then we're like out the door. And for the rest of the day, we're sharing the gospel, like knocking, cold call, knocking on doors and like, hey, uh, you don't know me and I don't know you. And I could, you know, be crazy, but I want to tell you about Jesus. Like that freaked me out. That, that makes me a little nervous. And then he's like, the next day, everybody bring everything you have for car washes. We're going to wash cars over here. And we're going to do a little, a little, little drive-through kind of thing. And we have five people. One person shares the gospel. The other four wash the car. And you just keep rotating. Like, this is day two of seminary. And I'm just like, man, this is making me so nervous. I mean, I did lead someone to Christ at the car wash the, the second day. And I was like, this is, in the end, now that I look back, this is actually really good. The Lord and his sovereignty immediately helped me see that seminary and being a new Christian and needing to study and needing to learn doctrine, which is absolutely important for all Christians, needs to happen. But while you're doing that, you still need to be in the front line every single day sharing the gospel with unbelievers while that's happening. So Saul's prep for ministry and all throughout this is he's proclaiming Christ in the synagogues. He's highly intelligent. He's able to do this. But you are too. You are highly intelligent. And you can be proclaiming the gospel. So as you're preparing for ministry, whether you've been saved for 20 years or 20 minutes, you should be proclaiming the gospel continually to people. And they were amazed. They were absolutely amazed. They were ecstatic amazed as this happened. 
for various reasons. I mean, who's this brand new Christian confounding people? Uh, he was growing in strength and confounding them by proving that Jesus is the Christ. That amazed him. But also, wait a second, like two chapters ago, weren't, weren't you the guy that got all the papers to kill us? And so they're also still a little skittish, which we've seen. All right, so here's the second thing I want you to see. So we see that he's immediately proclaiming Christ, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, between verse 22 and verse 23, Luke just writes, when many days passed, uh, the Jews plotted to kill him. There's actually a three-year gap right here uh, between verses 22 and 23. Most commentators will agree to that. Um, I'll help you see what's going on, but if you read in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, Paul fills in a little bit of a gap for us uh, of what happens between verse 22 and verse 23. And the book of Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, that's Jesus, or God, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. Which we know he went to Jerusalem because it says in verse 26, he went to Jerusalem to attempt to join the, 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 the other disciples. He said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem uh, with the apostles. But before, I went away to Arabia, and then I returned to Damascus. So he's going to Damascus. He gets saved. He gets the scales. He immediately preached Christ in Damascus. And then he tells us that he goes away to Arabia. And then after that, or being in Arabia, that's whenever he comes back and goes up to Jerusalem. And you can see it in verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. To visit Cephas, who is Peter. So he, he takes his, his three-year seminary. Uh, and he goes off for a particular time. For study, for prayer. I mean, he's brand new in the faith and he realizes and he, see, he knows preparation for ministry. And the Lord's got, he's already told us in verses um, 15 and 16, he's got a big task for him. And so since he has a big task for him, he does need to study. He does need to prepare. He does need to think. He does need to grow closer to Christ. He needs to be... He needs to do all the work of killing sin and adoring Christ and being amazed by the gospel. So preparation for ministry. God sends Saul to spend time in study and prayer. So that's the second one. I put 22 and a half because it's, it's really between 22 and 23. So in verses 22 and a half and in Galatians 1, um, 15 through 18, Paul takes a time of study and prayer and spends this time uh, in this three years in Arabia being away and... Uh, and his, his seminary, if you will, preparation of ministry of sorts. This is a time where the, it is a, uh, a time for Paul to think on everything that he needs to do for, for Christ. And this is a time for Jesus during those three years to shape him and mold him and prepare him for this impossible task. Break down points of pride. Uh, shape him into a stronger believer. Alan Redpath says it this way. When God wants to do an impossible task, God takes an impossible man and crushes him. I mean, this is just like God. For, for him to say, what we're going to do is, I'm going to take probably one of the worst people that hates Jesus. Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners in 1 Timothy, I think it's one fifteen. The chief of all sinners. This is just like God. He could have taken the chief of all sinners and just killed him. And said, oh, alright, you're done. Now we can keep going. But that's not what God does, right? He takes the chief of all sinners and doesn't kill him. And converts him. And makes him the one who would be responsible for writing half the New Testament and seeing, I mean, amazing things happen for Christ. That's just like God. But before that, he takes this impossible man and brings him over into the desert for three years for study, for preparation, 
and for molding and for breaking down pride, etc. And so um, I want to ask I want to ask these kinds of questions as we're looking at number two and preparing for ministry. And we've all agreed now that the Lord's preparing you for ministry as well. That you need to be on the front line sharing ministry. You also need to have a time where you're spending time in study. You're spending time in prayer. You're learning doctrine. You're being broken for sin. You're growing closer to Christ. You're adoring what Christ has done for you in the gospel. Um, what's the specific task that God has for you? We, we know in big picture the answer, the answer is Matthew 28. Like he wants me to go proclaim the gospel. Um, and, and baptize, teaching them to observe all that I command. But what's, what are some of the specific tasks that he has? Who are the people in your life that you know the Lord um, has put there purposely so that you can proclaim the gospel to them? And are you readying yourself for this? Are you, like Paul, taking time to study and think and grow and become more like Christ? Um, if the Lord wants you to have a, a period of great growth and understanding are you submitting yourself to, to the Lord so that, that that can happen? Or are you just way too filled with the schedule and saying, no, God, I can't do that? There's not enough time for me to be able to take that three years of focus or two years of focus to be able to do something like that. Um, if the Lord is saying that he has that, would you submit to that time of preparation? Would you say, yes, Lord, here it is. I'm willing to take these major time takers in my life that I know I don't have to have. I mean, I've got major time takers also that I have to have. I've got to take care of my kids and, you know, let them know that I love them and stuff like that. But there's other stuff that I just kind of hobby out and, or whatever. Are you willing to say, okay, Lord, if you need to take those things away from me, that's fine. I don't have to, you know, whatever your hobbies are, uh, I don't have to have those so that I can prepare myself for ministry. I'm willing to submit to the full work of preparation and do the work of study, do the work of prayer, do the work of finding sin and killing it. And so that I can be sharp, so that I can be used by you for ministry, so that I can really be prepared for ministry and be effective. That's, that's a rhetorical question, but I really want you to answer that in your head. Are you willing to say, whatever, Lord, whatever you need to do, remove it from my life or show me that I don't have to have it so that I can submit to your, to your will? In this particular time, Saul recognized this so much. I, I said that Saul's the one that changed his name because Saul was his Jewish name. And if you take that to Paul, you just make it into a, a, a Gentile name that because he's the, primarily the missionary to the Gentiles, he was willing to change his name in order to be all things to all people to reach the Gentiles. So for the sake of ministry, he, he changed his name. But there's also another purpose. Um, I think it's also a constant reminder in his own life to remember that Jesus is supposed to be more important than him. Saul, he was named after Saul after the, king of the, after the first king of the Jews, which is a pretty prestigious name in Israel, even though Saul really wasn't, he, wasn't, he was no David, right? Um, but he was still the first king of the Jews. And Saul changes his name to Paul, and in the Greek, Paulos, which means small. And so, yes, he changes his name for mission, but also changes his name to remind himself that in front of God, in front of what he's called me to, he's the one who's big and I'm small. He's the one that, that tells me what to do. He's the one that calls the shots, not me. And so I'm changing my name also, not just for the purpose of ministry to reach the Gentiles, the one that the Lord has called me, but also just as a constant reminder to, to say, I'm the small one here and Jesus is the big one. And if he wants to send me out to spend time in Arabia for study and prayer or whatever he wants, 
then yes. Because I'm the small one here, and Jesus is the one that's big. And so, preparation takes time. Preparation doesn't happen fast. The Lord wants us to ha have these things. But even though the preparation and study time and preparing for ministry might take a long time, listen, God is not preparing you for a short, temporary life of serving Him and knowing Him. God is preparing you for something eternal. And so since it's for something that's eternal, it's fine that the preparation takes longer. It may take you five years to totally be prepared. You should still be on the front lines doing the evangelism and studying and praying all the while so that whenever you know, all right, I'm ready for the task that the Lord has. I'm, real, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it. You're still doing evangelism, but you should be willing to submit yourself to even what would be a long time because he's preparing you for an eternity to live with him. Now, this next thing that happens is, I think, encouraging. He would not find it encouraging. But it is encouraging because it's going to help you see that the Lord really does have not just Saul's but our best uh, in, his, in his heart. He wants what's, what's going to be the best thing for our sanctification. So we, we have the little three-year gap there. And then after that, we know that he's returned. And it says, when many days passed... Uh, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching these gates and, and, uh, at night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down to an opening in the wall, uh, lowering him in a basket. So this is whenever he's going to escape Damascus. He'd, he'd come back. and In this particular time, usually cities, they, you know, they had kind of a, a wall around them for protection just from, from enemies. And the walls would be tall enough that you couldn't just, you know, like, here's a wall and just climb over it, you know, like my two-year-old. They were, they were tall enough that you couldn't get in. They were mainly for protection. So Saul's somewhere hiding in this city, and they know that he's in there. And he says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted, like, we're tired of this guy Saul. We, we're hearing that he's trying to convert people. We really, he's confounding people. We don't like it. Uh, and we're going to try to kill him. And so his friends heard about it. And they were watching by the gates because, you know, with the big walls, you got to go out the gate to try to get out. And they're watching by the gates day and night, just sitting vigil. Like, if he tries to get out, we got him. So his friends don't want him to die. And then it says, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall. So they cut a little opening and then, you know, let him down in a basket. And then he just kind of escapes by night. Now, you, you may think that's pretty, pretty stealth and pretty awesome. Um, Saul does not like it at all. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he recounts uh, what had happened, and this is what he says. Paul considers this actually a weakness of his that he had to do this because you think about Saul, and he, he writes to us and says, I'd rather be with Jesus right now for me to live as Christ but to die as gain. Like if you're going to say in Philippians 121, like for me to die as gain... What are you doing running away from death, Paul? What, why, are you, why are you hiding through the walls and sneaking out? Because in some way, he knew that his death wasn't supposed to happen right then, that the Lord still had something he wanted to do. But he still knew that it could be uh, weakness. So he writes about this little, you know, this basket deal happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, if I must boast, I'm in verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of the Lord he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the, governing, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. And so as he recounts that, 
he tells us that it showed my weakness that I had to escape at night being set down in a basket. So uh, as he comes from his, back from his little three-year uh, hiatus of, of studying and learning back to Damascus to try to lead people to Christ, all of a sudden there's a revolt against him. It doesn't go well. He, he's, he's, he's raring to go like, you know, like a seminarian right out of seminary when they get to their first church and they know everything. You know, even though they're, they're 25 and they come into the church and they know everything. And they're just, whoa, I know everything. Let me tell you. It's kind of like that walking into the city. Um, if you don't know that, then that's good that you don't know that. Um, I, I was just like that. And it was like, you need to chill, buddy. So, um, so after this three years of seminary Paul has, he comes to Damascus, raring to go like a seminarian. And like every good seminarian, uh, praise the Lord, God humbles him. And so it doesn't go that well. And so it goes so bad that... It goes so well that the people want to kill him, and he's got to be let out down in a basket by night. So the third thing is this: I want you to see in preparation for ministry, we've got him always on evangelize, uh, doing evangelism front lines. We have him also um, studying, and now he's he's at a seminary, if you will. His first ministry, he's like, all right, let's go. Everybody's going to get saved in Damascus. Oh, you want to kill me? So what's the Lord doing here? This is what happens. Um, God humbled Saul in the beginning of ministry for preparation. Verses 23 through 25 in 2 Corinthians 11. God humbled Saul in the beginning of ministry. Why did this happen? Why didn't he have like immediate success? Just preach like Peter and 3,000 people get saved. And he's like, woohoo! Yeah, why didn't that happen? Hugh says this. Constant success for Saul would have made Saul insufferable. Especially at the beginning of his ministry. So... What if we applied that to our lives? Right? You likely have shared the gospel if you've been a Christian for, you know, a little bit of time. And it didn't go the way you wanted. And instead of just thinking to yourself, I stink at this. I'm never going to be able to get this done. The Lord should use somebody else, not me. What if it had gone well? What if you had preached like, Pete, like Peter and 3,000 people got saved, like right whenever you started? Then you would probably, like, wouldn't be able to walk through those double doors, right? Just like me. Our heads would be so big. And like, yeah, I'm going to hold this up so high because I'm so awesome. Like, we would all be needing humbling. And so Saul's preparation for ministry involved in the beginning stages some humbling. And it could be that this is what's happening if you haven't seen success right away. That the Lord knows my heart and the Lord knows your heart and knows that immediate success might have also, right away, might have also called great points of pride. And so he wants us to be humble. He wants, I mean, I have experienced this over and over and over and over and over where I'm like, all right, yeah, things are going well. How about you, Fudd? Boom, humbled. Usually it's my wife, um, which I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, but a lot of times this guy is like, okay, how about I remove something like this? And you can think you're awesome, and you're not. So preparing for ministry, and that's why I said in the beginning, uh, I think this is encouraging. Saul probably didn't. This is encouraging because it keeps him in check and keeps us in check realizing that ministry is tough, and your only hope is Christ. And it's all about him and not about you. It's, it's not about you getting glory it's not about everybody thinking you're the stud or the stud S. You know, it's not everybody thinking that you're just, you're the awesome one. Instead, it's them thinking that Jesus is the awesome one. And so, 
Now that I've said all this, I want to say this. If you're not having what you and I would say immediate success in sharing the gospel with people, then I'm saying don't stop. Don't ever think that you don't need to like be in ministry, that somebody else should do it. The Lord is sovereign. And not only is he wanting to do things through you, he's wanting to do things in you. He's wanting people to get saved through you, through the ministry of reconciliation. But while that's happening, he, just as important, wants you to be sanctified through that. And so don't stop sharing the gospel. Don't get discouraged and say, I can't. I can't be used by God. I'm not going to share the gospel anymore. Keep sharing and keep allowing God to humble you. Keep allowing God to um, shape you into the Christ-like person that he wants you to be. Being humbled and realizing that it's weakness, as Paul calls it, is actually the perfect place for us to be. That's whenever I think we're probably going to be most effective in ministry, is whenever we're remembering that we need to be weak so that Christ can be strong. We need to be humble and not be prideful. So that's the third thing. There's another thing I want you to see in regard to ministry. Watch this. So Saul, he, he does the, he's a basket case. Anyway, because uh, it didn't work. Any loader in the basket? Yeah, that was bad. I know. All right, 26. Um, He's, he's like, I got to go do something. I got to, you know, I'm still fresh out of seminary. That didn't go so well. I need to go to my second church, and I'm, I'm going to do it right this time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go where some other believers are. Like, I'm going to the big shots. Back to Jerusalem, where all the, I mean, this is where the 12 are, right? I'm going to join them. Watch this. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. This is three years now. I mean, surely that's enough time for them to be like, okay, you know, maybe you're for real. Uh, and they were all afraid of him, and they didn't believe him that he was a disciple. That's got to be discouraging. That's got to be like, what? Am I ever going to... I, I, I know that he talked to me on the road to Damascus. I know he told me the ministry that he has. I know I was blind, and Ananias laid his hands on me. I know that he wants me to, to do this ministry. I'm proclaiming Christ, and I'm confounding people. I know that I feel like the Lord's got a, a big task for me. I try to join the disciples, and they don't even want anything to do with me. But Barnabas, verse 27. I mean, those two words right there, if you just kind of stop, humanly speaking, I'm, Jesus is the man. Like, we, we all know that. But Barnabas is still pretty awesome, all right? You got to think about how, where Paul is. The first two words, um, this may be like the, the third biggest but in the Bible. You know, you got the first one in 2-4, but, but God in Ephesians 2-4. And there's, a, there's another one, but maybe this, like, but Barnabas. This is pretty huge. Paul was, by this time, had to f- be feeling devastated. And it says this, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord uh, who spoke to him and how in Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. That seems to make us think, okay, that, that happened. Barnabas smoothed it over with them, and they accepted him in. As a matter of fact, if you read in Galatians, which we've already, Paul's already given us a little hint towards some of those things that happened in that very first conversion, same place in Galatians chapter 1, um, it says this. Uh, he, well, we'll start back over at 17. Nor did I go to Jerusalem 
but those are the possible for me. But I went to Arabia. Then I returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So this is where we are in the story to visit Cephas. And that didn't happen right off. Like they were like, no, we don't want you. But Barnabas said, no, no, he's good. And look what it says. I visit, so this is Paul, you know, many years later, kind of recounting it and doing it in a, in a fast fashion. He's like, I forgot to write that they, you know, rejected me and then Barnabas stepped up. And he just kind of, you know, gives the quick story. I went to visit Cephas and remained with them for 15 days. So that means he was there with them. He got to hang out with them for a couple of weeks. And not only that, he didn't just meet Peter. He said in, in verse 20, uh, um, verse 19, but I saw none of them, uh, of the other apostles, except James, the Lord's brother. So I, I, I was accepted in after Barnabas' word. I got to hang out with Peter and Jesus' brother James, who wrote the book of James. Like, they let me in. I became a part of the, the inner circle. I saw, after having tried to do this by myself and realized I need to go be around other brothers, I saw the value in it. They let, allowed me in, and man, I'm experiencing community and seeing the value of being with other brothers in the faith and ministry. So that's the fourth thing I want you to see about preparation for ministry is this. God shows Saul the importance of having brothers in the faith for the purpose of ministry. You can put sisters in there as well. Sisters, you need to have sisters. Um, it's not just only male-oriented here. Um, so he was able to go in and out. And it's, he doesn't stop his preaching ministry, by the way. Notice, just like you have him in verse 20, proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. You have him in verse 28, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Certainly you have that in verses 23. It's implicit, not explicit, but he, many days they're trying to kill him right there. That's implicit that in Damascus he's preaching the gospel, young seminarian. Like he's not just walking around, you know, eating fruit and hanging out and playing chess and they're wanting to kill him. He's clearly preaching the gospel that, and they want to kill him. So you, you still have him the entire time fulfilling that point number one. Wherever I am, I'm still on the front lines doing evangelism. The Lord might save somebody. But I'm also going to be prepared for ministry. And here in verse 28, it goes in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed with the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Here it comes again. And this is going to be the refrain of Paul's life. Preach the gospel for a little while. People are going to try to kill him. He's going to leave and try to stay alive as long as he can. And eventually is killed. But here he's preparing for ministry. And he sees the value of having brothers. Uh, Kent Hughes says this, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, when we're talking about but Barnabas, threw caution in the wind, sought Saul, heard him out, was convinced of the genuineness of his faith. This was the beginning of a lifelong friendship. The Greek implies that Barnabas took Saul by the hand and led him among the disciples. Hey, men, he's for real. He's all right. Philip, you can come out from under the bed. It's all right. He's not going to kill you. Barnabas was an interceder, interceder, a reconciler, and an enabler. He was able to forgive and put the past aside, to trust Saul despite all of his past sins and dangers. Sometimes we Christians are evangelical in our theology and yet distrust others, but not Barnabas. He believed the best of others. So who's the Barnabas in your life, and who are you being the Barnabas to? If you're in ministry, there's other people that need the fellowship of other people with you and them so that you are preparing. In, there's, there's nothing like preparing for ministry in community. Doing it solo is tough. Doing it in community is far easier. And Barnabas, awesome Barnabas, son of, of encouragement here, um, is the one that brings him in and encourages him. 
So who are your brothers and sisters in the faith that the Lord has given you right now to sharpen you in ministry? Who are they? You immediately should be thinking of the people in your community group if you attend Remedy. Like these are the people that sharpen me. How can you be sharpened by them in a more strategic way? Your brothers and sisters of faith were given to you by the Lord to sharpen you. What can you do to be more strategic that you're sharpening each other? How can you be like Barnabas and encourage them? How can they be like Barnabas and encourage you? Think about those things. The, uh, the preparation for ministry is to be done, not by yourself, but in the context of a group and community. Barnabas here confirms Paul's gift and then reconciles Paul to a larger group and they take care of him. And he eventually has to leave because of, he's going to get killed again. It says, and the brothers learned this. They brought him down. So he's got, he's got more brothers that are taking care of him now in this new city. They brought him down to Caesarea. And they sent him off to Tarsus. So after all this, what's happening with the church? Is it in shambles? Is it in dis disarray? <laughs> over and over we see this. When the, when the church is operating the way that they're supposed to, so... The church throughout all Judea. Now, remember Acts 1.8. Luke is strategically helping you see that Acts 1.8 is happening. If you don't remember, I'll refresh your ministry. At the very beginning, uh, did I say ministry? I meant to say memory. Uh, in Acts 1.8, I'm sorry. Well, it's all, we're talking about ministry, so I'm refreshing your ministry memory. So anyway, in Acts 1.8, it says this. So this is kind of the, uh, the outline for the whole book of Acts. Luke says that you're going to receive power, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, and you are going to be my witnesses, talking to them. This is Jesus saying, in Jerusalem, and then after that in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is shaped. Here's, here's the gospel going to Jerusalem in verses uh, chapters 1 through 8, and then 8, 8 through 13. is Here it is going from Judea and Samaria, and then 13 and following. Here it is going to the ends of the earth. And so here, Luke's wanting us to see. Acts 1-8 has happened, and so the church throughout now, all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, had peace. And was being built up because of the persecution that happened and they left. Now, many people are becoming to faith and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Living a life of holiness and relying completely on the Holy Spirit to kill sin and live on, on mission. What happens? It multiplies. The church is still growing. So, the Lord is still... I mean, amazingly blessing what's happening. Now, next week, we're going to shift back over to Peter. Peter's going to talk about, in the next little bit, about his, his eyes being opened to not just trying to reach the Jews, but Gentiles as well. That's, so we, we, he was all on Peter. Luke wants us to see what's happening to Paul. Now we're doing that little stack narrative where we're doing a flashover to somebody else, and then it's all going to happen where as soon as we kind of leave Peter for a little bit, the rest of the book of Acts is all about Paul, Saul, whichever one you want. But what are some things we can learn here about preparing for ministry? What are some of the things that, that you can take home and think about and put into practice this week? The first thing is this. The whole time you're preparing whatever the Lord has you, and there could be several. It, it could be one thing your whole life. It could be six things your whole life. But the whole time the Lord is preparing you for these things, you are absolutely supposed to be still on the front lines the entire time doing evangelism. You're to be proclaiming Christ as often as you can to people that don't know you. And some other things that you can think about and put into practice and, and learn and um, accept, if you will, this week is that God's going to ready you for ministry 
And it might involve being humbled. It might involve being humbled. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep going in ministry. It's not like the Lord wants you to be humbled so that you'll stop. He wants you to be humbled so you'll be more holy and continue. The next thing is this. And this is, this is absolutely important for everybody in the room. Everyone is crucial. Everyone in this room and everyone that will join Remini Church in the future. Everyone is crucial to accomplish the mission. Everyone in this room is needed. You have unique giftings and a unique personality and people that we don't know, that you know, and you're absolutely crucial for the mission that we would reach all of Rock Hill. That, it's not that we want to reach a certain age range in Rock Hill. We want to reach all of Rock Hill. And so we need every one of you and everybody that you can reach to join us to reach all of Rock Hill. The goal is that all 75,000 people, every man, woman, and child, will have repeated opportunities to hear the gospel. And we may never finish that, or the Lord may blow our socks off, and we get to see it in our lifetime. But that's the goal. So that means you are absolutely crucial. So ministry isn't just getting here early and making coffee and setting up chairs and you know, making sure that the basket has crayons and, and things like that. Those things are important. To be the church for what we have on Sunday morning for our gathering so we can hear the gospel and be sent out on mission. So yes, serve. We need you. But also realize that the mission is when we walk out for those next six days until we come back and we're refreshed in the gospel again. You're absolutely crucial to the mission. And the last thing is this. Um, give yourself to the preparation period. Give yourself to the study. Remove, not, not these important things, that time takers in your life, but these inconsequential time takers. Remove those things, if the Lord is saying remove those things, so that you can study, so that you can prepare for ministry, so that you can become the minister of reconciliation that Jesus wants you to be. If you have, like, questions for study, ask your community group leader. Ask me. Let us point you to books in the Bible that you can study or other books that you can study. Uh, think about mission. Think about people that need to hear the gospel. Give yourself over to the preparation of thinking how you can share the gospel most effectively to different people with different personalities. We're going to go into a, uh, a time of response, both in Lord's Supper and in worship. And so this is a time that's just for those that are in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus, uh, we ask that you come forward and receive uh, or take the, the bread and the cup and come back to your chair and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. And we take the Lord's Supper as a means of reminding us of the grace that we've received in the cross. Remembering what, what the Lord has done. The Lord gave us the Lord's Supper on, on the night before he was killed as a reminder that we would practice it and worship. And we would be uh, refreshed as we take it. Reminding ourselves of the good news of the gospel. So we're going to go into a time of Lord's, worshiping the Lord's Supper in response. And here, here's the deal. Some of these conclusions that I've had after we've taken the Lord's Supper and we're, we're standing to worship. If you need to think through some of those things about the fact that you need, should be, you need to proclaim Christ more often. Or if you've been humbled to make sure that you stay in ministry. Or realizing that you are absolutely crucial. Not the person that sits ne near you or that you, know is, that you might think is smarter than you. Who may, may be way more gifted but you too. And you need to believe that you are crucial for the mission. Or if you know that you need to study... Take some time.
during the response while we're, while we're singing to think through those things, pray through those things, journal if you need to. Say, Lord, this is what I need. to Help me do this this week so I can remember, and I'm putting it down on, the, on paper. And then stand and worship with us. Let me pray, and then um, we'll go into a time of Lord's Supper. As we go into the time of the Lord's Supper, just think and pray. Prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. We know that we're, shouldn't, we should examine ourselves. We shouldn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so uh, think and pray. And when you're ready, you can come forward. And on either side, make sure you, there's two. One's wine, one's juice. Make sure you pick the one you want. And then just come back, and I'll lead us through the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love that you've given to us in Christ. Thank you for this text as we see Paul prepared for ministry by you. And I pray that it's encouraging to us. I thank you that you humbled Paul right away and that people tried to kill him and it was so dangerous. He had to get lowered in a basket at nighttime just to run away and not not die. And we see that his first bit of ministry didn't go as well as we kind of put him up on a pedestal and think that he's awesome. Because for us, Lord, maybe it's not going so great. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe we're not seeing salvation. Maybe we're even seeing... Um, persecution in some kind of manner. I pray that we see this as an encouraging thing and realize that you want our sanctification and you want us to live on mission. And so I pray for my friends here that you would encourage them and that they would see that just how crucial they are to accomplish the mission. And that every soul here that knows you is integral for us to reach the city. And that we would finally wrap our minds around this that you want us to proclaim Christ every day in our synagogues and in our places where people don't know you you want us to proclaim Christ and if we don't know what to say Jesus is the son of God who saved me and he can save you if you put your faith in him and what he's done for you on the cross be with us now as we take the Lord's Supper and worship Lord I pray that uh This time would be meaningful as we reflect on the good news of the gospel. We praise in Jesus' name.